here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. And welcome. I am the most compelling voice in wrestling media, Joe Lanza, and you are listening to the best wrestling podcast on the planet. That is the wrestling flagship podcast. How are you? You're not going to answer me. Uh, Neither's Krejci because he's not here. Rich Krejci once again. It's really unbelievable. Once again, this man is on yet another vacation. It really is astounding how many vacations, how many weekend jaunts, how many holidays, uh, like our friends in Europe call them. Uh, It's astounding how often that this guy just slips away to some exotic locale. I mean, it really is incredible. But uh, yeah, you're stuck with me today. But we got a big show planned. There's tons of topics to get to. We're going to talk about Evolve and the, uh, and, the, and the weekend that they had last weekend with Evolve 112 and Evolve 113. And Evolve and WWN really are a promotion and a company in transition right now. Uh, I was the guest co-host on the Everything Evolves podcast this week with, with, my, uh, with my pal Aaron Bentley stepping in for Aaron Taub, who was off spreading the Red Plague. And uh, we had a very interesting conversation about everything that's going on in Evolve right now. And I'm not going to break down Evolve 112 and 113 here. I'm not going to do that. If you want to hear that, go check out Everything Evolves. What we're going to do here is sort of a follow-up to the conversation that myself and Aaron had about Evolve. So it, 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 a perfect lead-in to the flagship this week would be if you would go listen to Everything Evolves. I'm sure some of you already have. If you haven't, you might want to pause this and and, uh, and go listen to that show because uh, what I talk about today will have a lot to do with what we talked about on the Everything Evolves podcast because on the heels of that show, I did have a conversation with, with the Evolve office who listened in on the show and uh, chimed in, gave their two cents on some of my thoughts and Aaron's thoughts, gave some clarification on some things that myself and Aaron were confused about. So uh, the Evolve conversation on the flagship today is going to be very different than the one that took place on Everything Evolves. If you listen to Everything Evolves, you're not going to want to fast forward through what I have to say because it's going to be all new information uh, based on the conversation um, you know, that I had with the Evolve office uh, earlier this week after uh, they listened to the Everything Evolves podcast. So we're going to get to that. Uh, We're going to talk about the two New Japan Pro Wrestling Destruction shows that are coming up in the next couple of days and the big matches off of those. We're not going to worry about uh, down the line. What we're going to do is the Hiroshima show and the Bipu show, the two that are going to happen before the next flagship. So we'll preview those for you today. Of course, we've got WWE Hell in a Cell coming up this weekend too. So we will uh, preview that. And then, of course... There was a last-minute call for questions. I was afraid I might not have enough content. And on second examination, I think I do, but that's okay. Um, we did a call for questions. So unlike that shyster Rich Krejci, who charges you guys to do Q&A mailbags, which is probably how he affords to globetrot all of the time and uh, skip out on the flagship and uh, you know take the nurse around the world 
to uh, to visit exotic locales and smoke weed and whatever else they're doing. Uh, the devil's lettuce, I'm sure. You know, they're in Denver, Colorado, which means uh, they could very well be doing the devil's lettuce this weekend. And don't think for one second I'm not going to grill Krejci on that when he comes back to the show. But I did do a call for questions. Uh, we're going to answer those at the end of the show, too. Got a tr- some tremendous questions. I mean, I got about a dozen of them I got to get to, and they're all very good. And they're all, some of them, it worked out very nicely because uh, the questions were actually topics I was going to talk about on the show today anyway. So we'll just work them into the questions. So uh, nicely done by the listeners sending some tremendous questions. But uh, first I wanted to talk about something. Of course, all those big topics coming up, we always lead off with something stupid. And I don't think there's anything more stupid to lead off with than, uh, than, than, than young Will Ospreay hitting up his fans to buy his mother a car. Um, look, I, you know, I haven't commented on this at all. I know a lot of people already have some, some strong thoughts about uh, young Willie Styles hitting up the fans to, and, and crowdfunding to buy his mother a vehicle. If you didn't hear about this, Will Ospreay's mother, a terrible story. She had her car stolen, apparently. So, um, you know, the woman needs to get to work and to live her life and all of those sorts of things. So, Will, young Will, instead of digging into his pockets as a worldwide wrestling superstar, set up crowdfunding to pay for this vehicle, which I believe he was asking for 2,600 pounds or 2,000 euros. I don't know. Let's, for simplicity's sake, let's say he was asking for two grand. So, Osprey, he set it at about two grand, $2,000. And his story was that it was uh, very difficult for him to set up this crowdfunding and a little bit embarrassing. But, uh, but he didn't have the money to lend or give his mother because it was all tied up in a new home that he was either attempting to buy or recently purchased. And he needed help getting some cash, some liquid funds, so his mother could buy a car. So, um, let's unpack this. There's There's a lot to unpack here. Number one is... Why wouldn't worldwide wrestling superstar Will Ospreay have two grand to give his mother? I mean, you would think that Will Ospreay, as one of the biggest non-WWE contracted wrestlers, one of the biggest stars in the world, you know, could probably make about two grand in a decent weekend. He's also a contracted New Japan wrestler, and, and they pushed one at that. So... This idea I've seen floating around that, you know, maybe things aren't so hot for non-WWE wrestlers right now, I don't buy that at all. I mean, I talk to promoters, um, you know, and and I talk to wrestlers occasionally, and I think I have a pretty good feel for what, you know, a decent indie name commands. In fact, I, I you know, I, I've talked to promoters. I, I know what some of these names are asking for. And I think I have a pretty decent feel. Now, I don't know specifically what Will Ospreay gets for an indie booking here, there, or wherever else. And, I, and I, I'm not privy to his New Japan contract. I, I'm, that's not what I'm trying to insinuate. But I think I have a decent idea of what kind of money Will Ospreay is making 
um, you know, on the independent scene or people of his caliber or stars of his caliber um, are pulling down. And, and it, it seems strange to me that someone at Will Ospreay's level doesn't have $2,000 laying around. That does seem strange to me. Now, um, he gave an explanation. He said he just bought a house. Okay, I understand that. Um, you know, he's talked about that uh, before this problem with his mother popped up. He had mentioned that, you know, he's looking to buy a house. There were times where he was talking about, uh, I know that he was looking, it was reported, uh, I forget where, maybe the Observer, that he was looking for a place to live in New Zealand, uh, the New Zealand, Australia area, since uh, he likes working down there and be Priestley's from that area. And I don't know if this is the same house or a different house. I have no idea if he has a property down there and a property in, in the UK. I don't know, but he says his money is tied up in a property. Um, the first thing that that makes me think of is um, if you're buying a house, it's, it's, it's not very wise to dump every penny to your name into that investment to the point that you don't even have two grand left over. I mean, that's just not how you do things. Um, you know, so again, bizarre, but here's the thing, um, you know, forget the idea that he's not making any money as a pro wrestler. I, he's making plenty of money. I, I tossed that right out the window. Um, but you know, this idea that he doesn't, you know, why doesn't he have any money in the bank then? Even after buying a house, why wouldn't he have, um, well, Here's the thing, and this is one of those weeks where I kind of do wish Rich was here because, you know, you hear horror stories about professional athletes, particularly young professional athletes who do not come from money, uh, do not have the skills, money management skills, and particularly in the NBA, you hear these stories all the time, and this is where Rich would have come in handy as a big-time NBA fan. You hear these stories all the time um, of young NBA players all of a sudden, they have uh, several million dollars. They're 18 or 19 years old. And then you hear these horror stories. They're out of the league by the age of 27, and they're penniless. Dead broke. Antoine Walker is a great example. If you know anything about the NBA, you probably know about Antoine Walker. And, you know, guy made, what was it, um, an exorbitant amount of money in his career. I'll look it up now. Um you know, and if you Google him, you'll see the story of Antoine Walker. He had a feature done on ESPN, but he's hardly the only example. I'm not picking on Antoine Walker. It's just some people are very poor with managing money. You probably know someone in your life who is not very good at managing money. Some of you listening may be terrible at managing money. It's a skill that not everyone has, and the worst combination to have is to be young and have an exorbitant amount of money. It's a toxic combination at times. Um, and, you know, Will Ospreay is a guy who, from what I understand, comes from a working class family in the UK. And, um, you know, uh, they probably never had a, a, a great deal of money. And, um, you know, the fact that his, that his mother had a car stolen and, and their crowdfunding for it kind of speaks to that. And maybe Will Ospreay just never learned money management skills. Which, you know, leagues like the NBA and the NFL, they have rookie, they have these uh, programs set up for rookie players where they teach them these things now because they're concerned about, uh, you know, 
young people all of a sudden coming into a ton of money and having no clue how to handle it. Now, I'm not suggesting that Will Ospreay is a millionaire several times over. I'm not even suggesting that he's a millionaire. But, um, you know, when you see that uh, Antoine Walker, for example, to go back to that example, who earned over $108 million in NBA salaries alone between 1996 and 2009, and by 2010 was filing for bankruptcy protection. It just speaks to the idea that, that, you know, sometimes young people who never had serious money have no idea how to handle it. And it's tragic. And it's tragic. And again, I'm not suggesting that Will Ospreay, uh, you know, is a $108 million man. But, you know, money management is money management. You know, if... If you can't handle 20 grand, you can't handle 20 million. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, you can't, you know, so um, maybe, you know, so from that perspective, do I think it's newsworthy that a pro wrestler, particularly one under the age of 25, is bad with money? No. <laughs> no, I don't. It's a cash business. They get paid with envelopes and PayPal. You know, it, it, it's it's a cash business. They're young. Uh, if you're young and, and, and you're working in a cash business and you're not good with money, it, it doesn't stun me at all that uh, you might have money management. It, it doesn't surprise me. I don't think it's a bit. So I don't think that's a story. I don't think it's a story that Will Ospreay is bad with his money. Um, a lot of pro wrestlers are very bad with money. How much money has Ric Flair blown in his career? I mean, Ric Flair might be a better comp to Antoine Walker. I don't think Ric Flair made 108 million either, but he made millions. And every couple of years, we have to hear about how broke Ric Flair is. I mean, people are just bad with money. And you, know, you heard the stories of Ric Flair being frivolous with money. I heard stories, you know, uh, you know, five or six years ago that Kazuchika Okada, the rainmaker gimmick, isn't just a gimmick. He kind of lives the gimmick and lives above his means. He's making excellent money, but a guy that throws his money around. I don't know how true that is, but so you see it everywhere, particularly you know with athletes and pro wrestlers. These guys just stink with their money. Young and lots of money is a bad combination. Always has been historically. So I don't think that's the story here. The story here is where you stand on Willow Spray, essentially shaking down his fans for the money to buy his mother a car. Now, um, shaking down might be a rough term. He didn't put a gun to anyone's head. Um, you know, he didn't, uh, you know, uh, hustle anybody or uh, at least directly or, or lie or, 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 or may, listen, maybe he is being corny about this. That's a whole other aspect to it. Maybe Willow Spray does have the money to give his mother and this is pro wrestling. Maybe this is just an old school pro wrestling con. I mean, there's always that possibility too. My gut, look, I don't know Will Ospreay. In fact, he doesn't even like me uh, from what I understand, but I don't even know the guy. So uh, this isn't coming from any uh, you know, place of, of, of being familiar with him or his personality, but my gut tells me that you know he's not being carny here. But I, I suppose it's always a possibility. And if you want to go down that road, you're free to. But, um, you know, so if we're working under the premise that he doesn't have two grand in the bank, 
which is astounding to me, um, then is it appropriate for a pro wrestler, at least of his standing, worldwide star, those sorts of things, is it appropriate, contracted with a major company, um, is it appropriate for someone like that to hit up their fans for $2,000 when you know damn well you're going to get it? I mean, that's money in the bank. That's a lock. There's no question. And from what I understand, um, he exceeded the goal. So, and I mean, that was going to happen. There was no question about that. He's got a ton of fans, and he got the money. So knowing that you're going to get the money, is it appropriate to do that to your fans? To ask them for the money when you know you're going to get it? Is that taking advantage? Is that carny in and itself? Even if you legitimately don't have the liquid assets? And that's a harder question. I don't think a wrestler being broke or being bad with money or whether all his money is really tied up in a house or not, which again is a bad, that's not the way you buy a house. It's not very smart to tie up all of your money in a major purchase. I mean, that's not how you make a major purchase. But again, we're talking bad money management skills here, clearly. See, I don't think that's a story. That's just, you know, that's, that's Willow Spray's business. But then he made it everybody else's business. And to me, the question here is, is that carny to get the money out of your fans? Now, my gut tells me just from following this guy on social media and hearing him in interviews and things of that nature, I don't think this was some diabolical plot. I think Will Ospreay, at the end of the day, is is a simple guy who doesn't think things through all that well. I mean, you know, we don't need to get into the specific examples. He's found himself in situations where his mouth worked a little faster than his brain. And I think that in the moment, he thought that this was probably a nice thing to do for his mother, knowing that he could probably raise the money. Didn't think it through all that much. The people around him didn't think it through all that much or didn't even know he was going to do it. And he just did it. And then once you put it out there, it's out there. So um, I don't think this was ill-intended or I don't think that there's anything nefarious going on with Willow Spray. I mean, but it's up to you to decide if you think it's a bad look. I mean, there's no shame in being broke. Um, you know, there's no shame in being cash poor. But it's just a little odd that someone of his stature doesn't have two grand laying around. You know, and couldn't make it the next weekend to give his much. The other thing, too, he might not have it today, but... He's a working pro wrestler. I mean, you would think that Will Ospreay could have told his mom, hey, listen, give me a couple weekends and I'll give you the money. I, I, this is a, a bizarre story. A bizarre story. 
which I don't think would have gotten nearly this much negative attention if it would have been a, a lesser st- – I mean, you know, I think people understand with a mid-level or low-level indie wrestler, most of those people are out there, you know, working regular jobs and everything else. Will Ospreay is a professional full-time wrestler and a star at that. Bizarre story. And honestly, I don't know. I don't know where I stand on that. I don't know. Look, I would have never done that. If I was Willow Spray, or even as Joe Lanza, uh, you know, if I need two grand at some point, I mean, I'm not going to go out there and put up a GoFundMe. I, but that's just me. Everyone's personalities are different. Um, I'm not shitting on GoFundMe. I think there's tons of great crowdfunding when it comes to medical bills and helping people out who are in a tough spot and those sorts of things. I'm not anti-GoFundMe. I'm just kind of a a proud, stubborn man, and that just would never be my personal route if I were to run into some hard times. But uh, Young Will, no shame in his game. That's unbelievable. That's just crazy. I mean, we saw a, a GoFundMe or a crowdfunding thing um, a few years ago with uh, with an independent wrestler, uh, Barbie Hayden, who wanted fans to basically pay for her move from Texas to Florida so she could make a go crack it into NXT. Now, keep in mind, she had no contract with WWE at the time. She just wanted to be closer to Orlando so she could presumably catch the eye of WWE. Which was all kinds of absurd, because uh, this isn't 1968. And, you know, they're going to see who they need to see, okay? You don't need to be wrestling across the street for WWE to, to be on their radar. So, you know, that was a silly GoFundMe. And again, I don't think it was put up with any sort of malice. It was just put up with a lack of thought. And that's kind of the difference here. I don't, I, I don't think <laughs> this Willow Spray... Uh, crowdfunding was done with any sort of you know malicious intent towards his fans, or he just doesn't think things through. So, and honestly, I don't think he cares that people are shit talking him on this one. He doesn't care. He got the money. His mom's getting a car. You know, that's the end game. just in life some things are not smart let's say you get into legal trouble you probably don't want to go looking for a lawyer on some janky classified site where there's like personal ads next to the ads for a lawyer it's probably not the lawyer you want fighting for you it's not smart in business, there's things that aren't smart either. You know, if you're looking to hire, and I've hired a lot of people. I've hired and interviewed hundreds of people in my career in the shoot job from, you know, teenagers making minimum wage with their first job to six-figure executives. I've interviewed them all. I've run the gamut. I've interviewed and been in on the hiring of Every salary level there is. 
And again, there's things that aren't smart in business. Like you don't want to put your job ads on the same site next to the $500 lawyers and the personal ads and somebody selling an old couch. Because think of the candidates you're going to attract in a place like that. It's just not smart. But you know what is smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW to hire the right person. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. It's a powerful matching technology that scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, experience for the job, and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S., and this rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. They are not just blowing smoke. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter, and I use ZipRecruiter. My listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive website, ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW. ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, so what do we got next? Talk a little Evolve. Let's talk a little bit of Evolve. So if you heard the Everything Evolves podcast this week with myself and Aaron Bentley, uh, you know, to catch everybody else up who may not have listened to that, you should probably pause this and go listen to that. It'd be a great primer for what I'm going to get into. But it's very obvious that Evolve right now is in a transition period. And we've seen Gabe Sapolsky and his various promotions over the years, whether it's Ring of Honor, Dragon Gate USA, Evolve, you name it. We've seen his promotions over the years go through these various transition periods. And the headlines are always the same. You know, holy shit, Evolve is so dull right now. Oh my God, Dragon Gate USA, there's no buzz. What the hell is Ring of Honor? It's, it's, it's these transitions when... Gabe Sapolsky loses stars and he hasn't quite built the next ones up to where they have the proper buzz yet. We've seen this cycle rinse and repeat for 15 years. And right now, Evolve is in one of those periods. I think that's clear. They lost Zack Sabre Jr. They lost Keith Lee. They lost Matt Riddle. And that's who Evolve has been built around for the better part of the last year, year and a half, you know, two years, whatever it is. Matt Riddle, of course, being the big blow. Zack Sabre Jr. finished up WrestleMania weekend. Keith Lee was scouted very hard in New Orleans. Um, you know, I, I watched one of those shows sitting right next to one of the people who were scouting him. And, um, you know, now he's with, you know, he's already on NXT television. And Matt Riddle, of course, the big loss and the most recent loss. As soon as he got his first contact from New Japan Pro Wrestling... His first official contact gets an email from New Japan, informs his boss, Gabe Sapolsky, that he's been offered New Japan bookings that he presumably was going to take. 30 minutes later, he's on the phone with the big guy, Triple H, and he's got himself a, a, an offer to uh, to join a performance center slash NXT. So, um, you know, Matt Riddle presumably would still be with WWN had New Japan not made him that offer. I mean, I think that's fair to assume at this point. Um but, but regardless, they were going to lose him eventually to WWE. And he's gone now. 
And it's very clear WWN is in a transition period. And myself and Aaron uh, really broke it down and we went over who's kind of on deck. And we sort of nailed that. And, and you know, and, and we talked about the shows and, and some of the things we saw. And, and um, you know, there, there's, there is talent in WWN. It's a matter of now getting them over to the level that Keith Lee was over, that Zack Sabre Jr. was over, and that Matt Riddle was over. And I do think that they, they do have people there who have that potential. And, um, you know, you know the name. None of them should surprise you. Joey Janela is arguably the hottest name on the indie scene right now. And he holds one of the, uh, you know, I believe he holds, I always get these confused. He's either the WW, is he the WWN champion or the Evolve champion? Janela and Strickland are the two champions. I, I hate that they have all those belts. I can't stand it. And then you have Austin Theory running around with the FIP title. It's just too many titles for a small roster. And you got the tag belts, and you know it's just a mess. But Janela and Shane Strickland are the uh, are the guys that are hardest pushed right now. I talked to the Evolve office after they listened to the show and had a, a wonderful conversation, very pleasant conversation with the uh, with the Evolve office, and and they concede that they're in a transition period right now. They're not making any, you know, they they, they admit it. And you know they're going to build around you know their big five is who they're going to build around. And that's Joey Janela, Shane Strickland, Darby Allen, Austin Theory, and A.R. Fox. Those are the guys. And, um, you know, Shane Strickland, as I've talked about on the air many times, mostly behind the paywall, he is under MLW contract until December 31st, 2018. Now, Evolve wouldn't confirm or deny that with me, but I have that confirmed through MLW. He's under contract with MLW through December 31st, 2018. Now, MLW contracts allow you to work anywhere you want with the exception of WWE. You can work Impact. You can work WWN. Um, you can work, um, you know, uh, anywhere you please. ROH. They just don't want you working WWE. And it's gotten out, there's whispers, there's talk that MLW, for whatever reason, despite the fact that he can legally do it, and he's a title holder there, they're not thrilled with the fact that Shane Strickland is working for Evolve. I can tell you that right now. I know that for a fact. Shane Strickland lost the MLW world title. Loki is the champion. Uh, He lost the Loki. And he won a WWN title and we were told directly that Shane Strickland was one of the quote unquote big five moving forward. So listen, if you're trying to figure out where Shane Strickland lands on January 1st, 2019, I don't think these tea leaves are hard to read. So, um, you know, my opinion Speaking to many of the uh, particulars here, Shane Strickland's going to be a WWN wrestler moving forward. And they're going to build around him and Joey Janela and Darby Allen and Austin Theory and A.R. Fox. Now, your mileage may vary on some of those wrestlers. Um, You may even argue that that's too many people to push in such a small company. 
uh, you know, I had speculated that maybe they were giving up on Austin Theory. But you have to remember that Austin Theory is still only 21 years old. And look, I know he's not a great bell-to-bell wrestler right now. I think he has a great look. I think he's destined for WWE. I mean, I think if, if I were to bet on whether Austin Theory is going to end up with it, you know, in WWE within the next three or four years, I believe, barring a, a giant controversy, a career-sinking controversy, assuming that his career just stays on the same path, he's a 100% lock to end up in NXT. There's no question about it. Same for Shane Strickland, who I've watched him before my eyes over the last few years, from his first WWN appearance several years ago to now. I mean, he's just matured in front of our eyes, sort of under the radar. And now it's amplified now that all these other guys have been signed up by WWE. Shane Strickland's a top guy everywhere he goes, whether it's Defy or MLW, or WWN. And, you know, it's not just because there's no other options. He's deserving. He's He's been excellent. Really, over the last year or so, he's really stepped up. And, uh, you know, it's almost... It's, 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 it's so fun to watch people develop and grow right in front of your eyes over the course of five or six years. And then Darby Allen. I mean, he's a real wild card. I don't know if he can be an ace. I don't know that. I don't know if his character as it's currently presented is befitting of the top guy in a promotion. I think Darby Allen is much better off as an underdog who loses all of his big matches. And you know I'm a big fan of that. I talked for years about Tomoaki Hanma. Better off losing. Tomohiro Ishii, who we'll talk about later. Ultimately, he should lose all of his big matches. Once guys like this start winning, it changes the dynamic. And I don't know. I think Darby Allen would have to go through sort of a metamorphosis with the way he's presented before I can buy buy in on him as a championship ace. Now, you can build a promotion around Darby Allen, but I don't think you can build a world title around him. And then it becomes a little trickier. You can have an ace that's not your champ. But can you have an ace who's constantly an underdog? I don't like Darby Allen in the position of being expected to win, which was a great point that Aaron Bentley brought up on Everything Evolves, and I agree with it. I think the dynamic changing at that point is, is a negative for Darby Allen. You, every Darby Allen match, you should go in with the expectation that he's going to lose. Ethan Page was the perfect foil for him. Walter was the perfect foil for him. Ethan Page never took him seriously and had that cocky heel charisma to make that work. Ethan Page deserves a ton of credit for getting Darby Allen over. And Walter, the perfect guy for You know who I put you know who I try to book to work with Darby Allen next? Shingo. Shingo's the guy. He's perfect. You bring him in for a couple of shots. He's not going to be there long term. He bullies Darby Allen. Darby Allen wins in the end, moves on to whatever it is he's going to move on to. And IR Fox, listen, this is a WWNOG. This guy's been around forever through various incarnations, through various companies. He's had his ups and downs. If you know anything about Gabe Sapolsky's history, though, um, you know, he's a wrestling promoter. He's going to have his ups and downs with people. 
But he's willing to do business down the line. He had a bad relationship with Loki, and then later he did business with Loki. He's had bad relationships with TJ Perkins, and then later did business with TJ Perkins. Gabe is not one to hold a permanent grudge. There might be a couple that maybe Teddy Hart or something. He even did business with Teddy Hart after they had a fall. So, you know, you go right down the line. And, you know, he had a falling out with A.R. Fox at one point, but A.R. Fox has come back. And again, this is someone who's grown professionally since his first couple of runs with WWN. And now he has this whole, you know, uh, this whole batch of students that he brings. The Skulk is just a fantastic act. And if you're thinking beyond the Big Five, I mean, you got to look at Leon Ruff as a two, three, four-year down-the-line guy who can be a top guy. He has all the potential in the world. And you can see with Evolve 112 and 113, they started the ball rolling a bit on getting a guy like Leon Ruff over. Now you got to start picking out people from the Skulk and try to get them over as individuals, as spots open up. And we'll see what happens with Janela. You know, I think Janela is fantastic. He's obviously someone who's very charismatic, um, you know, and is a top indie star right now, arguably the top indie star in the United States right now. I don't love the way Evolve has presented him, but I'm willing to be patient. I think uh, a guy like that, it's, 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 uh, it, it's undeniable. I think eventually he does uh, get over in, in the right ways. And, 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 you know, for all the knocks that Sapolsky takes, he does eventually find a way. If you've got talent and you've got charisma, he finds a way to get you over. 99 out of 100 times. And, it, you know, most of you listening to this could get Joey Janela over. This one's a layup. So I don't like the way he's been used to this point. I think he loses too much. I don't know why Joey Janela loses so many matches. I'd have the rocket pack on this dude. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm confident that they'll be able to build around Janela uh, down the line. And Janela's not a guy that I see in NXT six months from now. I don't know how long Shane Strickland's going to be around. I don't know how long Austin Theory is going to be around. Janela, I could see him in NXT at some point. I debated that with Bentley. Um, but I don't see him in NXT, like, you know, by next summer. Now, in terms of bringing in the WWE names, they brought in Velveteen Dream this weekend. And look, no one ever sees Evolve's numbers. It's just crowd estimates. And I'm just like all of you. I can only look on the iPay-Per-View or sit in the crowd and just eyeball it and try to figure out how many people are there. And it didn't seem to me like Velveteen Dream, you know, Drew hanging from the rafter crowds. But, um, and you know, but Evolve tells me that Velveteen Dream and Adam Cole uh, were, you know, drew substantial differences in business. And in the case of Velveteen Dream, remember, they announced him late. They announced Velveteen Dream late. And in the case of Velveteen Dream, I am told, and I was told directly, that it put those shows from being in the red to being easily in the black. So I stand corrected there on everything of Vols where I speculated that it didn't seem like much larger crowds to me. I wasn't there. Told it was the biggest crowd in Jopa. And a substantial difference, and the shows ended up being profitable. And as far as Adam Cole, 
uh, we did give Cole credit for drawing the biggest crowd in Melrose. We just weren't sure about the follow-up shows in that building. And uh, we were told that the return to Melrose, they were up about, you know, over 100 tickets. So um, bringing in these WWE names, I still think it's very shady that WWE does not allow WWN to stream those matches. I don't see the harm. I really do not see the harm. I feel like it makes me as an iPay-Per-View buyer feel like I'm getting ripped off when I'm not getting the main event. The old live crowd only main event. And I know that that's not WWN's fault. I think that's, you know, WWN, it's an affiliated promotion. The guy works for you. Everyone knows Sapolsky works for, so what is the harm in allowing them to air these matches? I don't get it. But, you know, if they keep doing it, we've seen Cedric Alexander, he's another one. If they keep doing it, it must mean it's working. It was also noted to me that these guys have to agree to the booking. It's not like Gabe, you know, calls up Trips and is like, hey, Trips, I want Adam Cole this weekend. Pull him off the Largo loop. It doesn't work like that. He's got to ask. They have to ask the talent, and the talent has to agree to do it. So give Adam Cole and Velveteen Dream and Cedric Alexander, give those guys credit. Sami Zayn's another one, although I, he was injured at the time and didn't, he didn't wrestle, but he appeared. Um, I'm sure there's other examples I'm forgetting, but they have to agree to that, which, uh, listen, I didn't know that. For all I know, you know, WWE was given marching orders, but uh, that's not the case. And Gabe admits himself, he's in a transition period as a booker. He's changing and doing different things. So the old playbook that we've all kind of figured out, watching this promotion over the years, watching his promotions over the years, it might be, it might have some new plays in it moving forward. We'll see. There's a lot of booking patterns uh, that Gabe Sapolsky uses that are pretty easily identifiable if you've been following his promotions for a long time. But uh, maybe that changes too. Maybe that changes too. And maybe that's part of this, a key part of this transition period that, that all of us have ignored, that uh, he's changing as a person and as a booker. I'll tell you one thing that's changed. You know, if Janela is, is, is the guy... He loses way too much. I mean, that's <laughs> maybe that's from being in the room in, uh, you know, in WWE a little too much. You know, your top guys losing left and right. I don't understand. I really don't get that. I mean, wrestling one on one to me, you're pushing somebody, they should win their matches. I mean, that's the easiest way to get somebody over. You lose that part of the playbook. So that's what's going on with Evolve. And again, if you want an even more detailed discussion of all this and sort of a precursor to the additional information 
that I gathered for this show. Check out Everything Evolves this week. And you know what? Fuck it. Check it out every time they do a show. Where else are you going to get Evolve coverage that detailed? Now, who else is doing an Evolve podcast? It's the communist errands. That's where you got to go for it. You got to endorse some political talk every time. Just fast forward the first 10 minutes. I mean, that's, you know, they're blabbering on about Julia Salazar or whatever the fuck. You know, you don't want to hear that. You just want to get to the wrestling. You know, they break it all down for you and they're good guys. I pick on them, but they're good guys. I like them. They're, they're, they're friends of mine and um, they're real good people. And, you know, if they ever need me to step in on that show, I'm more than happy to do it. What do you think? New Japan or WWE? New Japan or WWE? Let's do the New Japan stuff. Let's previews these Destruction shows. I got to tell you, I've been watching, I've been cherry-picking matches from the Destruction Tour. The show's on the 7th, 8th, and 9th. The Tomohiro Ishii and Will Ospreay versus um, Golden Lovers match from the 7th. Tremendous match. Four and a half stars. This is the year of the tag team match. This was another tremendous tag. There's been great tag team matches all over the globe. I think we're going to see in our uh, match of the year poll at the end of the year, more representation of tag team matches near the top than we ever have in the five, six, seven years, whatever it is, however long it's in, we've been doing that poll. Um, it's just, you know, seemingly every week there's a great match of the year caliber tag team match somewhere in the world. Now, I don't think this is a match of the year caliber match. I don't even think it might not be one of the five best tag team matches I've seen this year, but shit, in any other year, it's just this is a stacked year with great tag matches. And this was fantastic. Golden Lovers win it. Uh, of course, it was a, uh, a, a, a prelude to the Kenny Omega Tomohiro Ishii match, which takes place on the 15th, which some of you will listen to this before the match takes place. Uh, especially those of you who consume this show as soon as they hit your feeds. Others will not hear this until after the match has taken place and and maybe after you've even watched it. So uh, I will go through this show quickly and I will uh, give more focused attention to the show in Bipu, which is headlined by Minoru Suzuki and Tetsuya Naito. That takes place on the 17th. And myself and Rich will review both of these shows on next week's flagship. Uh, very quickly, let's look at this Hiroshima, uh, Hiroshima card. Uh, and every year we do this. Is it Hiroshima or is it Hiroshima? Every year we do this. And every year I forget what people tell me. Because the fact is, people tell me both. Some say it's Hiroshima. Others say it's Hiroshima. So, uh, let's see. We've got Kushida, Jushin Thunder Liger, and Tiger Mask versus Rapongi 3K and Rocky Romero. Uh, look. This is going to be uh, nothing more than an opener. Rocky Romero, to me, looks like the low man. I think he will take the pin here, but it wouldn't shock me if the Rapongi 3K side wins it. We're gearing up for the junior tag tournament this year, and it is a league. It is not single elimination, so uh, they're going to heat Rapongi 3K up. I think the thing to think about here is I hear a lot of people griping about how they're using Rapongi 3K. Don't worry about Rapongi 3K, Okay. The G1 Tour is where a lot of juniors kind of get lost in the shuffle. A lot of them aren't even booked on the damn tour to begin with. They're not the champions right now. They've held the title several times. They're clearly the number one junior team, whether they're champions or not. 
And they're going to win those titles again. And they're probably going to be featured heavily and probably win this junior tag league. So, you know, calm down. Relax when it comes to Rapongi 3K. They're fine. I wouldn't worry about them at all. Short term or long term. Long term, Sho Tanaka's a star. Now, I don't know if that means he's simply a future junior ace, which there's nothing wrong with that, especially how they continue to grow the junior division in New Japan and do good things with the juniors. Uh, If he becomes a junior ace at some point, there's nothing wrong with that role. If eventually they feel he's big enough to be a heavyweight, I think he could be a heavyweight player. I wouldn't worry about Sho Tanaka long term. Yo is a tremendous worker. He will always find a niche in this company. Short term, do not worry about this team, please. It's silliness. It's absolute silliness that people are complaining about how they're being used. You can't push everybody all of the time. They'll win those titles back, and they're probably going to do a tremendous job in this tournament. So, uh, let's see. What else do we have next? Next up is... Lost my notes. Uh, Bad Luck Folly takes on Toa Hanare. Singles match in New Japan that is not a title match is always uh, something worth paying attention to, even though even when it's something like this that looks like a potential squash. The first time these guys faced each other, everybody thought that it could have been a potential angle with Toa Hanare joining the uh, the Tongans in the uh, Bullet Club War. Did not happen. It was simply a squash match. Um, I don't expect that to happen here either. So uh, I just think this is another showcase for Bad Luck Folly. I think uh, the Tongans, the Firing Squad, whatever you want to call them, they're in the midst of a mega push. They're going to win all their matches. They're going to look impressive in doing so. Uh, and and this is just another example of that, keeping Bad Luck Folly busy. Hanare is another guy. He is tremendous. This guy, look, I don't know if he's a future star. I'm not going to say that. I think Shotanaka is a star. I don't know if Hanare is a star. What I do know is Hanari is going to be a great wrestler. I do know that. He's going to be a bell-to-bell great wrestler. We've got Mike Elgin and Ayato Yoshida, who's worked the entire tour. That's the K-Dojo kid who has worked a lot of the Lionsgate shows. He gets a big push in Lionsgate. He's main-evented multiple Lionsgate shows from K-Dojo. He's got height. He's got a great look. He's got that matinee idol look that New Japan loves. He's got size. He's a good worker. I watched him wrestle Chase Owens in Cork and Hall. And that was a hell of a match. A, a hell of a match that a lot of people probably skipped. Go back if you didn't watch it and watch Chase Owens versus Ayato Yoshida. It was tremendous. So team of Mike Elgin here against Killer Elite Squad. This has been a tour where they're really putting a lot of focused energy into tag matches. We talked about that tag uh, main event in Corkin that opened the tour with the Golden Lovers defeating um, Ishii and Will Ospreay. We also had Juice Robinson and Hiroshi Tanahashi uh, teaming up the next night in Cork in the headline uh, the next night against Okada and Yoshihashi. We've got Killer Elite Squad against Elgin and Yoshida here. And then later on the tour, Killer Elite Squad's facing best friends. So we've all complained that New Japan doesn't do enough with the heavyweight tag teams. You can't complain about that on this tour. I'm pleased with the way that they've booked the tag team, at least on paper. We'll see how the results shake out and all those sorts of things. But so far, I've, you know, there's been a focus on the tag teams. We're headlining Corican Hall with star-studded tag team matches. Killer Elite Squad, uh, we're not wasting them in eight-man tags. They're, they're, they're going to beat Elgin and Yoshida. Yoshida's going to lose. Yoshida, his role right now 
He is one step ahead of the Young Lions in the pecking order. He would lose to anyone else on the roster. He lost to Chase Owens. Okay, he'd probably beat any of the Young Lions and lose to anyone else. The only other wrestler, he'd lose to David Finley. He would lose, he's lost to Chase Owens. He would lose to Yujiro, all your bottom guys. About the only other wrestler on the roster who I think I, I wouldn't be sure of the result would be if he faced Hanare. And if you put a gun to my head, I think Toa Hanare, being the New Japan Dojo guy, would win that match against Yoshida. But that's the level he's at right now. You're not worried about wins and losses with Yoshida. You're worried about how he performs. You're worried about how he performs. Now, he's still representing Kayantai Dojo officially. I think there's no question he's going to end up as part of the New Japan roster. He's going to lose the Killer Elite Squad here, though. He's taking a killer bomb. We've got Best Friends and Will Ospreay versus Kota Ibushi, Yujiro, and Chase Owens. Will Ospreay and Kota Ibushi, uh, this tour is loaded with these two men being on opposite sides of one another. They're teasing a singles match. We'll see if it happens later this fall. I hope that it does. They're also teasing Will moving up to heavyweight. We still have the junior title tournament, the four-man tournament to deal with, so we have to see what happens with that. Uh, This could just be, you know, talk that goes nowhere. We've seen that before. We've seen Kushida talk about wanting to be in G1s, and that never comes to fruition. And sometimes these guys just go into business for themselves. But Osprey Abushi definitely seems to be a company direction. And we'll see if there's any meat on the bones in terms of Will Ospreay being moved up to heavyweight at some point. I mean, he's big enough. I don't think I don't think size is the problem. He's about the same size as Beretta. And and you know you're not stepping on a scale. I mean, this is kayfabe. I mean, it's like you know if they want you to be a heavyweight, they, you know you're going to wrestle heavyweight. No, Taguchi is probably heavier than some of the heavyweight, uh, the juniors, and he's probably heavier than some of the heavyweights. I mean, it's just but you know he's a junior because you know they, he. He didn't want to move up to heavyweight, and you know he works junior, but he's he's technically probably not under the whatever the weight limit is. Uh, but yeah, so uh, what to look for here? It doesn't matter who wins a match like this. I think officially in the uh, in the uh, preview up on the site, which I was a part of, I picked the chaos side. But really, it's just the Willow Spray Kota Ibushi interactions that you should be interested in. We have the never open weight six man titles on the line. This title changes hands nearly every time it's defended. I don't think it's changing hands this time. I think Gorillas of Destiny and Taiji Ishimori, who people are annoyed, was left out of the, uh, the, the, the junior title tournament, which I agree. I mean, I would have had him in it instead of Bushi if, if, it, if it came down to me, especially with getting to the finals of Super Juniors and all that. I just think he's a hotter act right now than, than Bushi. Um, and I'm just not a huge Bushi fan, but I can see why he's not in that title tournament because they've got him occupied with these never open weight six-man titles. And... It's not the worst spot to be in if you're Taiji Ishimori. You're going to be in title matches. You're aligned with uh, the hot new heel group and all those sorts of things. And I don't see that. I see, you know, some people think that the titles are going to change hands here because, you know, simply because they always do. But um, I, I don't see that happening because I think the uh, Bullet Club OGs or the, the firing squad, the Tongans, whatever you want to call them, they're, con- they're going to continue to get this mega push. And they're going to win it because you have you have David Finley right there to to, to pin. So um, I see Finley taking the fall, and I see the Tongans retaining and then cutting a very obnoxious promo uh, after the match. So uh, we've got Chaos uh, side of Hiroki Goto, Toru Yano, and Gato, and they're facing a Suzuki Gun team of Taichi, Takashi Azuka, 
and Yoshinobu Kanamoru. Um, look, this is to put heat on the Hiroki Goto Taichi match that we're going to talk about in a minute. Doesn't really matter who wins. This is just building heat for the never open weight title match coming up later on the tour. We've got uh, LIJ and an eight man, all four healthy members, and they're in there with Minoru Suzuki, Zack Sabre Jr., Desperado, and Taka Mishinoku. So uh, Taka's probably going to take the fall here as we continue to build towards what I think is a meaningless singles match between Naito and Suzuki, but we'll get to that. And uh, let's see, we've got Hiroshi Tanahashi, Togi Makabe, and Tomowaki Hanma. They will face Kazuchika Okada, Jay White, and Yoshihashi. Another six-man that uh, isn't worth getting too excited about. Uh, Tanahashi and Okada have been on opposite sides um, on the entire tour as we careen towards their briefcase match. And then uh, that's a very weak semi-main event, by the way. I know it's Tanahashi and Okada. I get it. But in a six-man match like that, that's your semi-main event. It's disappointing. And I know Jay White's in the mix. So you're going to get interactions between Jay White and Okada and Jay White and Tanahashi because Jay White's going after that briefcase too at some point, presumably, whether it's Okada or Tanahashi who come away with it. And look, I've talked about the possibility of Okada winning the briefcase from Tanahashi. What about the possibility of Okada beating Tanahashi for the briefcase and then defending it against Jay White? I know that idea is kind of out there, but... Based on the way things have been booked, it's, it's, it's not completely out of the question. And I think it would be an interesting direction to go. So anyway, that's your semi-main event. And the main event, of course, is Kenny Omega defending the IWGP heavyweight title against Tomohiro Ishii. Look, these guys have incredible chemistry. Every time they get in the ring with each other, they have a great match. The tag team match in Cork and their interactions were fucking incredible. So... I expect this to be a match of the year caliber match. I think it's fair to, uh, to, to put that as the ceiling of this bout. The floor is about four stars. I can't see them not having a great match. The problem is Omega's retaining. I've seen people make an argument that Ishii should or can win. Neither of those things are true. He should not win. That would be ridiculous. Um, because you can't send him to Wrestle Kingdom as your champion. And having him lose it back to somebody, whether it's Naito or Kenny Omega, uh, you know, losing it back to Omega would be ridiculous. All you're doing is killing Omega's momentum. I suppose he could beat Omega and then lose to Naito, with Naito coming off a win against Suzuki. It would be very much Tomohiro Ishii to finally win this title and then immediately lose it a month later. But again, I think... It, this is overthinking. I think it's overthinking. I think Omega wins the match. But if somehow Ishii does win, I think you then have to get it on Naito uh, for Wrestle Kingdom. And then, hey, if Okada beats Tanahashi, we get that Naito-Okada rematch that looked like there was no chance for. So maybe we got some sneaky Gato here. And then, of course, Naito could get his win, uh, could get his win back. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if Okada beats Tanahashi for the briefcase? Ishii beats Omega for the title. Naito beats Ishii for the title. Naito defends against Okada at Wrestle Kingdom and loses the title to Okada. Could 
Could you imagine being on Twitter the day after after that scenario occurs? That'd be something else. In fact, I would like to see that now. The meltdowns would be epic with apologies to my good friend John Carroll who surely is going to browbeat me for this one. But I mean, you know, it's the same reason I root against Roman Reigns in title matches. I, I like seeing the world burn. And that is a world-burning scenario as we transition to the Bipu show. This is taking place on... What's the date on Bipu? So disorganized with the notes. This is why I need Rich. September 17th. Uh, we have a preview of this up on the Voice of Wrestling site. I took part in that as well. Along with John Carroll and Jake Beckman. Now let's go through that card. We've got Tenkoji and Tota Suji. That's one of the new young boys. They take on Yuji Nagata, Manabu Nakanishi, and Yuya Yumura. The other new young boy, Yumura and Suji, have had about a thousand ten-minute draws. Uh, you know, as, as they have come in with the same class, and neither man has been permitted to beat the other yet. So uh, Suji and Yumura are basically what uh, what Sho and Yo were to each other. Two guys that came in together and basically wrestle each other uh, you know, on every show. None of these people are on the Hiroshima event. This is uh, Satoshi Kojima's return to a major New Japan show. He's worked some of the tour, including the Blue Justice show, which they always do on this tour. Um, but this is his return to a major New Japan show. And as such, if you need a prediction for this opening prelim, I think Yuya Yamura is uh, eating a cozy Western lariat and tasting that for the first time. And I think they're going to give Kojima a big win on his return to the big stage. At least that's what I would do. But then again, I'm a huge Kojima fan, so I'm biased. David Finley and Ren Narita take on Toa Hanare and Shota Ominu. Now let me tell you something about this match. Narita and Ominu will always be associated with each other the way Sho and Yo are and the way Suji and Yumura are because they wrestled each other a billion times when they came in uh, and broke in with the company together. Uminu, everyone seems to agree now, but I want to point out that I was the first to say that that guy was going to be a star. It seems everybody agrees at this point. Ren Narita looks like a good little worker. The thing about this match is, yeah, it's a meaningless prelim with two young lions and all that, but these are four guys where if the working shoes are on, and they usually are with these four men, this can be a hell of a match. This could be a sleeper match on the undercard, even if they only get six or seven minutes. All these guys usually try hard, and they're all very good. Takashi Azuka takes on Ayato Yoshida. We talked about Yoshida before. He's in a singles match here. He's already lost a couple of singles matches on this tour. Look, Azuka's a maniac. He's 50 years old. He gets dragged to the ring by a chain. Could we see a DQ win for Yoshida? I think that's a possibility. There's no chance in hell he's pinning Azuka. There's no chance in hell he's submitting Azuka. Could Azuka pull out the iron glove and chop him in the throat with it and lose by DQ? Always a possibility. But I think uh, young Yoshida, for the first time, listen, he's not wrestling Yuji Nagata or Shota Aminu 
in a scientific matchup like he does on Lionsgate. So we're going to see this kid in a brawl situation against an unhinged maniac. Uh, we've got Kushida, Ryusuke Taguchi, and Jushin Thunder Liger against Tiger Mask. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Botch that badly. It's Kushida, Taguchi, Liger, and Tiger Mask against Willow Spray, Rapongi 3K, and Rocky Romero. Notable is Kota Ibushi is not working this show. So, no Will Ospreay, Kota Ibushi stuff here. And it really doesn't matter who wins that match. If it gets time, though, I, th- I could see it being a very good match. Killer Elite Squad takes on Best Friends. Chucky T hops on the tour for Bipu. It's very weird. There's a lot of people working one show that aren't working the other, working half the tour, not working the whole tour. Uh, it's weird in that sense. Normally you get one or two guys, but everybody in the opener on Bipu, Chuck Taylor, uh, they're not really on the rest of, uh, they're not on the Hiroshima show, and in some cases not on the rest of the tour. And then you have Kota Ibushi, who's on the entire tour, but he checks out and he's not on the Bipu show. So this is, uh, this is bizarre. But the winner of this match, this really could be a springboard to the next title challengers. And really, it depends who the champions are um, in terms of picking your winner here. If the, um, if Gorillas of Destiny beat the Young Bucks in the United States for the titles, as John Carroll points out, it might not make, in, in, in our preview, John Carroll points out, that it might not make a ton of sense to have Killer Elite Squad beat Best Friends, make a title challenge, and face off against another heel team. It might make more sense for Best Friends to get a high-profile win on a major show and be the first challengers for Gorillas of Destiny. Now, if the Young Bucks retain, Killer Elite Squad versus Young Bucks is a real intriguing match because you're talking about arguably the greatest team, greatest tag team of this era in professional wrestling against arguably the most notable New Japan heavyweight team of the of the Bushi Road era. Killer Elite Squad is always in the... The only time they haven't been in the title mix is when they were off in Noah on the Noah excursion. When Killer Elite Squad's around, they're always hovering around the belts. So I think it would be an interesting matchup. And I don't know if Killer Elite Squad has ever faced the Young Bucks. I don't know that. And it's a great styles clash. They'll throw the Young Bucks around. They'll ragdoll them. The Young Bucks will be flying all over the place. I want the Young Bucks to retain and face Killer Elite Squad next for the titles. But I think Firing Squad's getting the mega push. I think they're beating the Bucks for those tag team titles. I was adamant about that throughout the entire G1 tour when they were getting their big push and getting all those wins. I think they beat the Bucks. And if that's the case, John may be correct, and Best Friends might win this match to set up a title match. Or we're all reading too much into it, and this is just a match on the mid-card of a show, and it doesn't lead to anything. But... The way New Japan books, it's suspicious that these two teams are not in some six or eight man. I think the winning team gets on the mic and makes a challenge. Evil, Sonata, and Bushi take on Zack Sabre Jr., El Desperado, and Kanemaru. The big bosses are in the main event singles match, so we get a six-man match here. Uh, I'm curious to see if Zack Sabre Jr. scores a fall, most likely on Bushi if they want to keep him strong. Uh, That's probably the likely outcome here. And then we have, but then again, as also pointed out, 
by some people. Bushi is in the in the uh, championship tournament, so you may not want to beat him before that happens. So you could see Despi or Kanemuru take a fall, or Zack Sabre Jr. pin one of the heavyweights to set up some sort of feud. So there is some intrigue there in terms of how the fall shakes out. Then we have, before we get to the uh, title matches on the show, we've got Hiroshi Tanahashi, Juice Robinson, Togi Makabe, and Hanma against Okada, Jay White, Yano, and Yoshihashi. Essentially the same match as the six-man semi-main event in Hiroshima. You're really just paying attention to the interactions between Tanahashi, Okada, and White, more so than who wins the match, which is meaningless. It doesn't matter. Um, and then we have the never open weight title, Hiroki Goto versus Taichi. I like seeing Taichi in the mix as a heavyweight, chasing titles, those sorts of things. I don't want to see him win, though. I just am a, I'm a bigger fan of Goto, and I'm a bigger fan of the Goto style of match. I'd rather see the never title revolve around him. I'd rather see those big, bruising, nasty never title matches rather than if Taichi wins the belt, you're going to have a lot of the Taichi bullshit, which I don't necessarily hate. But I'm just a bigger fan of Goto, and I'd like to see him retain. Main event, Naito versus Minoru Suzuki. We saw this match earlier in the year. I don't get it. What's the point of this? I get the point from a business perspective. This match is going to fill that little building out there in Bipu. I get it. At the end of the day, you're trying to sell tickets. Fine. From a storyline perspective, putting away my business mind and putting on the fan cap, I don't care about this match. This isn't interesting for either person. I'd much rather see these dudes doing something else. I saw this match this year and it wasn't good. I think it'll be better because it'll be impossible for it not to be. These guys are too good to lay another egg. I don't think that's going to happen. So I think we're going to see a better match. But it's a match I don't care about. And that bothers me. I do think it'll fill the building, though. And ultimately, putting back on my you know business cap, that's really what matters. But as a fan, I'm not interested in this match at all. And I haven't run into many fans that are excited for this. Naito fans don't want to see this. Suzuki fans don't want to see this. Suzuki fans are more fired up for the Tim Thatcher match in OTT. Naito fans are just, they're waiting around for Naito to do something that matters. This doesn't matter. Is there going to be some big angle coming off of this? Maybe. But on paper, I cannot get worked up for Tetsuya Naito versus Minoru Suzuki. I'm sorry, I just can't. And those are the two destruction shows. And we will review those next week on the flagship. What do we got left? We got Hell in a Cell. Another big WWE pay-per-view offering for those of you that don't have the network and are still ordering pay-per-view. You know, I'm curious. I don't think among our thousands of listeners we have anybody who would still be ordering pay-per-view because if you're listening to this atrociously dorky show every week, you're a hardcore fan, you're in the bubble, you're paying $9.99 for the network, okay? Here's what I'm curious about. Is there Anybody who listens to this, maybe you live out in the fucking sticks and you have very slow internet. There's still places in this country that don't have high-speed internet. And in the world, that do not have high-speed internet. I've seen them. I know people who do not have high-speed internet and can't get it or it's exorbitantly expensive or they just won't come out. 
So my question is, is there anybody out there who, for whatever reason, you can't get high-speed internet, you don't want to pay, you're not that into WWE, but maybe once or twice a year you buy a pay-per-view, who's still watching these shows on pay-per-view. If you are, hit us up, because I'm interested. So anyway, Hell in a Cell, with the atrocious poster, with, uh, I don't know if you've seen this Hell in a Cell poster, we got Roman Reigns, styled like the devil, with, I don't even know, is that Braun? It looks more like Bray Wyatt than Braun, who's wearing, like who has like horns and wings, and I guess is... uh some kind of demon of some sort or, or, or a different interpretation of the devil. Awful poster. Looks like a fan drew it. Really does. As for the show, let's go through it. As always, I'll be reviewing this show for Fighting Spirit Magazine. Subscribe today. Tell them Joe Lanza sent you. Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella take on The Miz and Maurice in mixed tag action. Look, here's the thing about this match. It does nothing for me. I don't give a single shit about Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella versus The Miz and Maurice. I've had it with The Miz. I'm over it. Don't care at all about The Miz or Maurice. Don't give a shit about Brie Bella. And they've yet to do anything that's been interesting to me with Daniel Bryan since he's returned. Outside of maybe a couple of matches with Andrade, Cien, Almas, La Sombra on SmackDown a couple of weeks ago. But I'm just not... Listen, my interest level in Daniel Bryan, and this is amazing to me, is zero. He came back like everybody else. My interest level was a 10. Couldn't wait. Daniel Bryan's coming back. This is the fucking best. It did not take long for it to sink to about a two. And now, after big casts and the WrestleMania match, which was built around Shane, and he laid on the ground the whole time, and now they're doing a mixed tag with the Miz and Maurice, it's zero. I don't care. And I totally recognize that this is going to be over like crazy in the building. But this isn't for me. But I can totally see this being the kind of match that's over like crazy with a WWE crowd. So from that perspective, I have no problem with doing this match. Now, it doesn't have to be for me to concede that it, it's good booking. Speaking, you know, in general. This is fine, because I know WWE fans are eating up this match. Here's the thing, though. I think they missed the boat on the Brian Miz feud. Because the match at SummerSlam had a shocking lack of heat. I couldn't believe how quiet the crowd was for that match. So with all of that said, maybe I'm wrong, and maybe, you know, this... but. But here's the thing. You get the, the, the uh, wives in the mix. You get Brie Bella and Maurice in the mix now. It, you know, I think this match will have good heat. 
I think people will be into this, and I think they're they're going to enjoy it. As Daniel Bryan and The Miz, this feud marches on. I suspect they're going to have multiple singles matches beyond this. This isn't going to be the blow-off. SummerSlam obviously wasn't the blow-off. So could they drag out Brian Miz till WrestleMania or will it be played out by then? I don't know. I think that's too long. Maybe you blow it off at Survivor Series, which is weird. At the end of the day, and I guess we'll have to see how this match plays out and how the feud ultimately plays out, I think they managed to blow Daniel Bryan and the Miz. I mean, that was red hot at one point. It looked like a main event caliber match with mega heat. That isn't what we've gotten so far. AJ Styles against Samoa Joe. WWE title on the line. This is, uh, this feud is weird. I'm not going to say it's not amusing. I'm amused by it all. It's like one of those late 90s, uh, you know, bad thrillers that you would go see in a movie theater. You know, where like AJ Styles is in the role of like the family man. He's got a wife who maybe he's having a little bit of marital problems with, but nothing too serious. He's got a couple of kids, boy and a girl. And Samoa Joe is like the neighbor who's a little too friendly. And then he becomes a little creepy. And then he becomes a lot creepy. And by the end of the movie, AJ Styles thinks Samoa Joe's fucking his wife and Samoa Joe's trying to kill AJ Styles' kids. And in a perfect, neat and tidy 90 minutes to get you in and out of the theater on a Friday night, the AJ Styles character kills the Samoa Joe character in the rain with rain and blood and sweat pouring down his face. He plunges the knife or the bullet into the Samoa Joe character's chest. His wife, with her tattered shirt, maybe some blood on her arms and legs, comes running out from behind a tree or a car, and they embrace and they hug as the credits roll, and some cheesy music plays. That's what this is. That's what this feud is. It's a bad 90s thriller. Starring Carrie Elwes. You know, at some point in the movie, you know, Styles accuses the wife of fucking the neighbor. It's, just, it's a whole thing. You've all seen that movie a hundred times. They're always exactly 90 minutes long. They're churned out by a major studio. It's got, you know, B-level. There's no A-level stars. It's always B-level stars. The wife is always played by someone who just came off of a canceled sitcom. The husband is like, you know, Kyle McLaughlin or Carrie Elwes or someone like that. Maybe a Bill Paxton. Maybe you get a Kurt Russell if you get real lucky, you know. And then the heel, some grizzled character actor, you know. So the budget's like $20 million. There's like six characters in the whole movie, you know. There's the family of four. 
there's the creepy neighbor who's the heel, you know, the Samoa Joe. And then, like, the only other character in the movie is, like, AJ Styles, his annoying mother-in-law, or maybe a cop who they were trying to tell that Samoa Joe is a bad dude, but the cop just doesn't believe them. And, of course, the cop dies. Samoa Joe kills that cop eventually. Because eventually the cop is on to Samoa Joe. He's on to the scent. So Samoa Joe's got to off that dude, you know? So it's a small cast. It's got a budget of like $20 million. You know, Universal pumps it into theaters at the end of the summer after blockbuster season's over. It grosses like $35 million. And, you know, they make $15 million off of it. Then it would hit the DVD wall at Blockbuster, and there would always be like 20 copies available to rent because nobody wants to see it. Everybody who wanted to see it saw it in the theaters. No one else wants to see this movie. It's the movie you'd get stuck with at Blockbuster when you'd go too late on a Friday night and all the good movies were gone. And then you, you got to say to your girlfriend, all right, what about The Neighbor starring Kurt Russell? And she's like, all right, I guess. And they got plenty of them. Let's just, let's, let's watch The Neighbor. So AJ Styles vs. Samoa Joe is basically a fictional movie called The Neighbor starring Kurt Russell. That's what this is. And it didn't need to be. It's AJ Styles and Samoa Joe. Now look, I haven't been high on the AJ Styles title run. He hasn't had a good match in forever, probably since the Brock Lesnar match at the end of last year. But he's still, you know, I'll give him the benefit of the respect of history. Probably the best wrestler on the main roster. If not, one of the top three or five. Samoa Joe, to me, is undoubtedly the best promo on the main roster. And brings an aura of danger to the table. He's a bad motherfucker, Samoa Joe. This was easy. It didn't have to be The Neighbor starring Kurt Russell. All it had to be were two dudes. You nod to their history. You nod to it. I get it. You're not going to talk about TNA on SmackDown. But you give a little nod to their history. Everybody knows these guys have history. And you let them go out there and cut promos on each other and have a good match. That's all you really needed. Have a couple good matches here. We didn't need this overly convoluted The Neighbor starring Kurt Russell. I'm half expecting this match to end with AJ Styles hitting Samoa Joe in the head with a crowbar outside the arena in the rain. And then Samoa Joe getting arrested as the credits roll. As AJ huddles together and gives his family a hug. The torture is over. 
He can't get to us anymore. The New Day defends the tag team titles against Rusev and Aiden English. Poor Bludgeon Brothers, huh? In the midst of the biggest push of their career, and another injury takes them down. Poor Harper. Wasn't even his injury. Look, doesn't matter who wins this. New Day has won these titles or some version of these titles, what, a hundred times at this point? I'm not convinced they're ever going to push Rusev, so the smart money's on New Day, but who the hell knows? And quite honestly, who the hell cares? Roman Reigns in a Hell in a Cell with Mick Foley as the special guest referee. Defends the universal title against Braun Strowman, who's cashing in the money in the bank. Braun Strowman with the horrible heel turn and then proving to be very stupid by uh, cashing in without catching his man. This is not a very heel move to cash in in this manner, right? This is a babyface move to cash in in a mano mano fight and not waiting for the guy to be weakened. Look, I think this could be really good. And that's what I'm hoping for. I don't give a shit about either of these men. I long stopped caring about Roman Reigns. I long stopped caring about Braun and his feats of strength. Don't care. He's a goofball. They overbooked this guy. Not into it. With all of that said, I don't care who wins, and I don't care about either of these guys. This could be really good. It could be violent, and it could be very good. I'm hoping for a great match. I think it can be. I think the ceiling on this is a great match. I think the floor is an overbooked mess. With Braun Strowman doing feats of strength and lifting the fucking cage and murdering Mick Foley. And I, I don't need any of that. That could be what this ends up being. But this could also end up being a really great match. Because these guys have good chemistry too. Ronda Rousey defends against Alexa Bliss. If Joe Lanza had the pencil, this is a squash match. Rousey squashes her again. You're not going to hurt Alexa. The story here is Alexa is not in the same league as Ronda Rousey. And you want Rousey to go into evolution as the champion. So shit, if she's got to win anyway, fuck it. Just squash her again. Bliss can get her comeuppance and cheat her way into the title down the line. You have these dopey shows every month. The play here is for Rousey to retain. And if she's going to retain anyway... She should cut through Alexa Bliss like a hot knife through butter again. Here's the other thing that does. Okay? It eliminates the possibility of these two having a terrible match if it goes along, which is definitely a possibility with Greener Than Grass Ronda and Alexa, who will lay an egg now and then. And it also eliminates the possibility of exposing Ronda Rousey, who again is very green, has been very impressive. Leading candidate for Rookie of the Year, all those things, she's great. We don't want to expose her either. A squash is just the right answer for all of this. Jeff Hardy versus Randy Orton in the Hell in a Cell. Why? I don't know. Will I watch this with bemusement and hope Jeff Hardy doesn't die? Yes. I don't know what to make of this, other than it's absurd. 
No one wants this. It's the Naito Suzuki of Money in the Bank. Nobody wants this. Charlotte defends against Becky Lynch. Charlotte reigns against Becky Bryan. I'm into this because I want to see the fan react, the crowd reactions. I want to see the direction the company takes, all those sorts of things. That's fascinating from that perspective, so I'm into it. Um, it could be a good match, too. They've had good matches before. And then we've got Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre defending the tag team titles, the Raw tag team titles in this case, against Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose. I just want to get to the part in the story where McIntyre splits with Dolph, and I want to see what they do with McIntyre. So I'm all about the former Shield members winning the tag team titles here, and I think it's about time that Drew and Dolph go their separate ways, and we see what happens with Drew. I'm more excited about that than anything these guys can do as a team. So that's Hell in a Cell. That's your Hell in a Cell preview. That's on Sunday. We will have a full team review of that as usual. And um, and the way we go, I guess all we got left are the listener questions. So let's burn through these. First question, Rovert wants to know, who should win BOLA? That's a very different question than who will win BOLA. Or who do you think will win BOLA? It's who should win BOLA. So let's take a look. I think this is a real interesting field. I know some people are down on this field. I think it might be just a lack of familiarity with, uh, with some of the people involved. But I love this BOLA field. And really, you know, when I think about it, there's really not that many names that can win. A lot of them are international, whether they're from Australia or Mexico or Japan, and they don't figure to work a ton of PWG moving forward, at least not, you know, every month or whatever. And for various reasons, let's go through them because I really don't think the op- there's many options. Adam Brooks, I don't think he can win it. Of course, he's from Melbourne City Wrestling. Um. You know, he's a tremendous wrestler, and he's a guy who has a chance to impress people if he can make a run. But I don't think he can win this. Bandito. Now, Bandito is a guy, a lot of people are picking Bandito. A lot of people think Bandito can be the next indie superstar. I don't know if I agree with either of those things. I like Bandito a lot. He's a very impressive wrestler. I don't get a star aura off of Bandito. I just don't. I get this guy's really fun to watch aura off of Bandito. I don't get, wow, this guy needs to headline everywhere he goes. I that doesn't I don't get that impression. I just don't. Brody King. Now, listen, this is a Southern California guy. He's making a name for himself in various indies from coast to coast. I don't think he's ready to win this tournament. Marco Stunt. Well, he's a replacement. He's not winning, nor should he. But when Chris Brooks had to pull out late, perfect replacement. He's the hottest name on the scene who wasn't already in the tournament. So there was no reason not to bring him in. And he worked bar wrestling the other night. He's already in town. It all made sense. Shima. 
clearly he's not winning. It's great to see him back, though, in PWG. Darby Allen. I guess he could. But I don't think he will. David Starr. This is a guy who I think is, has a legitimate shot. Now, is he over enough in that building? That I don't know. He was in the horrible match with Fred Yehi that got shit on. Um, but he is the kind of guy I think that can get over in that building. Now, I don't think he'll win it because... How can you be confident in booking him to win the thing when it's possible that the Reseda crowd will reject him again based on the dud with Yehi? So it'd be risky. So that, that kind of eliminates him. But he's one of the last remaining United States-based like indie stars that aren't signed right now. It's crazy. The other problem with Star is he faces Joey Janela in the first round. And, you know, I haven't gotten to Janela yet, but I think he's the favorite to win it. DJZ. I don't think he could win it. I think he could have some entertaining matches, particularly later on in the tournament. Um, you know, he, he, Robbie Eagles is his opponent in the first round, but I think in when he's involved in tag matches and wacky multi-mans, he could, he could have a great showing on the weekend, but I don't think he could win the tournament. Flamita, he's not winning the tournament. Ilya Dragunov, I don't see him winning the tournament. He very rarely takes bookings outside WXW anyway. Um, It's going to be interesting to see what kind of reception he gets. Now, I think it was smart to put him in a tag on night one. He's going to team with Shingo. They're going to face Ring Conf on night one. He's in there with his career rival in Walter. He's teaming with the man he's facing on the next night. So they're not throwing Dragunov onto the Reseda crowd cold. They're letting you learn about him on night one. And I bet you he's featured heavily, heavily in that tag match. And I mean, you know, maybe facing Walter in a tag on night one is the tip-off that they're not facing later on in the tournament, but you got to have these guys have a singles match, right? I mean, it's one of the hottest singles matches in the world. But that'd be a shame, because that means Shingo's getting knocked out early. Jeff Cobb, who is now an ROH wrestler and all those things, that kind of leads me away from picking him to win the tournament. Jody Fleisch, he's not going to be a regular. He's not winning, but he's another interesting name. Joey Janela, I think, is the favorite to win. I think it, it all works out and lines up for him. He's the biggest indie star going uh, today. North American-based. Um, with the exception of maybe Pentagon Jr. or something. But for United States-based guys, um, you know, you get what I'm trying to say. Pentagon Jr. spends a lot of time in Mexico. He's probably going to WWE. Janelle is the guy right now. So I, I, I don't know. He seems like the most logical pick to win this thing. Jonah Rock, again, Australian dude, got over well enough previously in PWG, but he's not winning this. PCO, a no-brainer to have in the tournament, but he, he's not going to win. He's probably losing to Brody King. Puma King, again, 
you know, a, a, a really cool name to bring into this thing, but he's not winning. Ray Horace, can't see him winning either. Robbie Eagles, Australia, again, him and Adam Brooks, a lot of people can't tell him apart. Just look for the bandana around his neck. And, and you know, what's interesting is Robbie Eagles and Adam Brooks, they're like based in different promotions in Australia, which makes this fun. Same thing when, you know, you've got Shingo coming in, a Dragon Gate guy who just announced he's going freelance, but either way. And then Shima and Teok, who just, you know, left Dragon Gate under the cloak of a lot of controversy. So are they going to be buddying it up in the locker room? Like, ah, you know, we all escape that hellhole. Or, you know, is there heat there? So there's interesting politics at play with Bola too. Sammy Guevara, he replaces Travis Banks. I think that's an upgrade. I am not a fan of Travis Banks. I'm a much bigger fan of Sammy Guevara. Uh, Sammy Guevara, from what I understand is uh, a lot of the fans in Reseda do not like Guevara. Doesn't really come across on tape. But the fact that he's a replacement might speak to that. Uh, He's not winning, by the way. Shingo, who's going freelance, so he could pop back up in PWG after October, but I can't see him winning this tournament. In fact, I think he's losing night one, unfortunately. Then there's T-Hawk, who's coming over with Shima. He's obviously not winning. Timothy Thatcher, I can't see him winning. Trevor Lee, he's a replacement. He replaced Matt Riddle, so clearly he's not winning the tournament. And then there's Walter. Walter is a threat to win it. But my pick is Joey Janela. There you go. Now, who should win it? Joey Janela. Who do I think will win it? Joey Janela. So I ended up giving the same answer to both questions anyway. But I love the field. I think it's a, a really cool field. Now, I was going to do a segment on Bola anyway, but it came up as a question, so it worked out nicely. Uh, Neil McNerlin wants to know, do you think that New Japan booking Daisuke Sekimoto on a Lionsgate show earlier this year means that they are interested in possibly bringing him in full-time? And do you think he would sign with New Japan despite his loyalty to Big Japan? I don't think Sekimoto is on his way to New Japan, no. Um... Would New Japan be interested in Daisuke Sekimoto if he was interested in them? Yeah, why not? Guy's great. But he's not going anywhere. Um, you know, very loyal to, to Big Japan, ingrained in the company. I you know, it's it's look, it was it seems like a one shot. I wouldn't I wouldn't get wrapped up in that. Um Scott McGregor. This is Isle of Man guy. He wants to know who's winning the World Series. Well, I'll tell you who's not winning the World Series, Isle of Man guy. The Toronto Blue Jays, who as predicted, stunk this year. But I do want to note to everyone that this man paid off his debt and he PayPal'd me the money, the 10 buckaroos that he bet me that the Blue Jays would make the playoffs. They're nowhere near the fucking playoffs. And this man paid off the bet uh, probably a month ago. So um, he, he, he's a good man, the Isle of Man guy. Um, the Red Sox. I mean, how can you not pick the Red Sox at this point? I mean, you have to. I'm, I'm sorry I'm picking the... Uh, the chalk pick here, but I can't, I can't, there's no reason to pick against them. At GRT Saturn wants to know, 
How do you think WWE is going to do in promotion of the year polling for the Observer Awards? Extremely positive on the business side, but vastly negative on the actual quality of the main roster. I mean, yeah, they signed billion-dollar TV deals, so if you want to vote them promotion of the year, I can't really begrudge you if that's what you value in the award. Um, I do sense that there's a lot of people annoyed with the company, though, especially Observer voters. Um, you know, really everybody. Roman Reigns fans hate WWE right now. Um, this show is very down on WWE, and I get the sense a lot of our listeners are down on the company right now. Uh, there's people down on the Saudi Arabia thing, which may preclude them for voting for WWE for uh, for Observer Awards. So I don't see WWE doing well, and they're not having a very good bell-to-bell year anyway. They haven't had great shows. They haven't had a great bell-to-bell year. So unless you want to get NXT and some of the network stuff in the mix, I don't think they're going to do well at all. Emilio Hernandez wants to know, do you have higher expectations for CMLL anniversary than you did for AAA, Triple Mania? Um, you know, it's hard to answer after the fact because Triple Mania turned out to be an entertaining show. So I have to kind of revert my brain back to before I knew that information. And in general, yes, you're going to have higher expectations for CMLL over AAA almost every time. And I'm looking forward to the anniversary show. Packerman120 wants to know, why are the Brewers the best? Well, Packerman120, that's factually incorrect. The Brewers are not the best. The Brewers are not even in first place in their own division. Now, they are three up in the wild card. So, you know, with about 15 games left. So it looks like the Brewers are going to get in. They made a ton of moves around the deadline to shore up the roster. They went out and got Jonathan Scope. They went out and got Mike Moustakis. Uh, They've got an embarrassment of riches, uh, you know, in the infield now. They went out and got Curtis Granderson as a uh, left-handed, you know, bat off the bench. When you already had Eric Thames as a dangerous left-handed bat off the bench. Uh, The bench is, is, is super dangerous now. With Keon Broxton and Curtis Granderson, Eric Thames, and and uh, Eric Kratz with some right-handed power, um, you know, from the catching position and those sorts of things. So they've got, you know, flexibility, uh, you know, on the infield. So offensively, they're fine. And, uh, you know, the bullpen. The thing about the Brewers when we get into the postseason, most postseason teams are going to have a great closer. So they want to make it an eight-inning game. Take the lead into the ninth, put your closer out there, and put it away. A lot of postseason teams will have a good setup man. So they can make it a seven-inning game and close it out in the eighth and ninth. The Brewers have the best bullpen in baseball. So when you've got Jeremy Jeffress and Josh Hader and, 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 and Joaquin Soria and Corbin Burns and Dan Jennings, they went out and got Xavier Cedeno, another lefty. You know, they got three good lefties in that bullpen with Hader, Jennings, and Cedeno and Jacob Barnes. And you go right down the list, Freddie Peralta pitching out of the bullpen now. They went out and got Jordan Lyles, you know, so they've got a long man. You know, the bullpen's incredible. You could play a six-inning game if you're the Brewers. You get a 3 nothing lead and take that into the seventh. You know, they're going to shut you down for the last three innings. So that's the big advantage they'll have in the playoffs, particularly a one-game playoff. It looks like they're going to be in the wild card. So if they're in the wild card, if they jump out to an early lead, you know, it's all hands on deck. You could get your starter out of there in the third inning, and you could just go bullpen. 
and throw all those names. You throw Jeffress and Hayter and Soria and, and, and Jennings and and Peralta and, and you know, Barnes and Sedano, you know, and just close it out with the bullpen. The problem with the Brewers all year, and the reason I didn't like them uh, in the beginning of the season, and I actually talked a good friend of mine out of betting on them to win the division, was I never liked their starting pitching. I thought their starting pitchers, they, they, they don't have a guy. They have a bunch of guys, but they don't have a guy. And they went out and got Gio Gonzalez, but you know he's not having a great year, and he's okay. But to me, he's just another guy. There's no number one. They've got a bunch of number. Th- they have a bunch of really good number three starters. They have high end number three starters. Five of them. Geo and Wade Miley, who's having a good year, and but doesn't strike anybody out. Zach Davies, another guy doesn't strike anybody out. Chase Anderson, uh, who's the other one? Uh, Chakin, uh, Jules Chakin. You know, they got a bunch of good number threes. So that worries me in a long series. One of those dudes, you know, has to face, you know, uh, pick your ace, pick an ace. You know, one of those dudes has to face Clayton Kershaw twice, if they play the Dodgers, let's say. And, you know, that's a bad matchup. So, no, the Brewers are not the best, sir. That's factually incorrect. But I do expect to see them in the playoffs. And with that bullpen, they'll be an interesting team to keep an eye on. Wally wants to know, what do you think of the progress Wembley card? Good question. We hardly ever get to talk about progress here because Rich is a lazy bum and he refuses to watch it. But this is a Joe Lanza special. I can talk about progress, which I'm still catching up on. Because the Travis Banks title run, ugh, it just took me out of it. But I'm starting to catch up. I haven't seen the Walter title win yet, but I'm getting there. I'll be all caught up by the time we get around the Wembley. And I think this is a very good card with some fresh matchups and an eclectic card. You got Walter defending against Tyler Bate. There's no way on this earth that that's not a great that that's not a great match. The three-way for the women's title: Tony Storm, Ginny, and uh, Millie McKenzie. That should be that should be you know should be fine. What's the Atlas match? It's uh, Doug Williams and Trent Seven. The tag team clusterfuck. Look, I'm not super interested in that. I think this whole Thunder Bastard series has been an utter failure. There's a lot of people in that match that I'd rather see in, 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 in different scenarios. I think it was a bold move, the Flamita and Bandito thing. I'll give him credit for that. Um, you know, and you got Aussie open and whatever is left of uh, CCK. David Starr will be in that match. I mean, you know, we'll see. Pete Dunn versus uh, Dragunov. Interesting matchup there. I don't know if they've ever wrestled each other. Probably not. Haskins and Riddle. Riddle's last indie match against Mark Haskins. You know he's going to work hard. Matt Riddle is not going to mail it in. Eddie Dennis. He's done, you know, he's he's been, he quit his full-time job about a year ago. Maybe a little longer than that. He'll be in a TLC match against Mark Andrews. And, uh, you know, Dennis has really shined from 
a character and promo perspective. And then it's uh, Paul Robinson, who I have no use for, and Jimmy Havoc. I'm just, I've never, I've never liked Paul Robinson. But, um, you know, no DQ, Jimmy Havoc doing plunder. So, yeah, I mean, it's a good show. Really good lineup. Looking forward to it. Wally also wants to know, he's cheating with uh, two questions here. Who's your pick to win the All Japan Railroad Tournament? Another topic I wanted to talk about, but, uh, you know, I let you guys set the deck with a question. You know, that's a tricky one to pick. I'm going to do the same thing I did for Bola, and we're just going to go through everybody. Um, Zeus is, is obviously, now look, the Zeus-Ishikawa title match, you know, we didn't get a chance to talk about that. What a letdown. Um, wasn't a great match. It was in an empty building. It looked terrible on tape in front of the empty building. Um, I don't know how much longer they can go with Zeus. It was a nice little story, winning the title in Osaka. I get it. But, um, you know, the Zeus thing, it's, it's, that's exactly what it was. It was a nice little story. It's time to get serious again and uh, get this title on the right people, in my opinion. So, um, wasn't encouraged at all. I mean, how do you not have a great match with Suji Ishikawa? The guy is, you know, Suji Ishikawa in a singles match, a big singles match. I mean, that's a lock. So, disappointing title match. Uh, the title change got mixed reviews. Carried by emotion more than anything else. And, uh, yeah, very, very disappointing um, crowd in that big building against Suji Ishikawa. Where was that? Chiba? So, um, that's been his only title defense. So, if you're looking at a winner of the Royal Road here, which you think is going to set up a title challenger, I think you could eliminate Ishikawa, which normally would be one of your favorites, right? So, uh, Kento Miyahara, he lost to Yuji Hino in a singles match on that same show, which I thought was an excellent match. You know, for an undercard match with a surprising finish. Um, He could obviously win it. Yoshitatsu, he faces Miyahara in the first round. He has no chance. He's going to lose to Kento, and, and, you know, even if he pulls an upset, he's not winning this tournament. Uh, Yuma Aoyagi, I don't think he can win it. Ryuji Sai, he's not winning this tournament. Suwama, always a possibility. This is where you look down bracket. And I want you to keep Suwama in mind, and I'm going to tell you why in a second. So, um, Miyahara could win, and we've got an uh, asterisk on Suwama. Johnny Valletta, uh, Gianni uh, Valletta here, he's a uh, foreigner that they've been using. He's obviously not winning. Joe Doring is always a threat. He faces um, Dylan James in the first round. I expect him to win that match. And uh, Big Joe Doring, always a threat. He's a possibility. Suji Ishikawa, um, again, I don't think they're going to give him another title shot, so I don't think he'll win. Dylan James is not winning. Kengo Mishima, that's a possibility. He's got an outside shot. Zeus is not winning. Uh, There's no point in the champion winning. Neo Nomura, I don't think Nomura's winning. Yuji Hino's not winning. Although, by beating Miyahara, they're establishing him as a threat. The bodyguard. It's an interesting one, right? That's an interesting one. Junakiyama, I don't think he... You know, look. He'd be a good guy for a, uh, another notch in Zeus's belt as a title defense. And Jake Lee, probably too soon, but I wouldn't completely write it off. you got to look at the matchups, though. And this is why I'm favoring Suwama. 
He's got an easy first-round match against uh, uh, Johnny Valletta. He's winning that. But he then faces the winner of Zeus and Nomura. So they could have Suwama knock off Zeus and then go on and win the tournament. That's why I'm picking Suwama. But am I super confident with that? No. But that, that's my angle. Lee Malone wants to know, thoughts on OTT booking Suzuki versus Thatcher and Tomohiro Ishii versus Kushida. I think it's great. And as Lee pointed out to me earlier this week, I think it was Lee, just look a couple of years ago. OTT has gone from booking the likes of Bull James and Tommy Dreamer to booking Minoru Suzuki versus Tim Thatcher and Tomohiro Ishii versus Kushida. What a great job that promotion's doing. And if you want to be the kind of person who votes, we talked about promotion of the year for WWE. If you're the kind of person who values promotions growing and expanding and doing good things, I could see OTT getting votes for promotion of the year. That's not how I vote for that award, but if that's your angle, you know, definitely worthy of a vote. Suit Williams wants to know, how long do you think it'll take for Impact to turn the corner in regards to ratings and public opinion? Would a big signing like Neville make much of a difference? I don't think Neville would make a difference, no. I don't think Impact and ne- look. I don't think Neville does anything for Impact in terms of uh, television ratings or moving the needle, and I don't think Impact does anything for Neville. If I'm Neville, I stay away from Impact. I just don't think they're a good fit for each other. I'm sure Impact would love to have him. I should rephrase that. I'm sure Impact would love to have him. I just don't think he'd make a difference. And I think Impact is a bad fit for Neville. So I I just, you know, would I watch him on TV every week and enjoy it? Yes. Is it the best move for Neville? No. In terms of how long it's going to take for Impact to turn the corner in ratings and public opinion, I've talked about this at length on my TV reviews behind the paywall. I don't know the answer to that. And the answer might be never. There might be too much historical damage Wrestling fans might have, you know, too much PTSD at this point when it comes to Impact slash TNA to where they're never coming back. No matter how good things get, bell to bell and creatively. And they're okay right now. It's a pretty enjoyable show week to week. I'm on record saying I think this regime is doing all the right things and they should stay the course and keep doing the right things and keep booking the people they're booking and making the moves they're making. But at this point, I'm not confident it matters. It may not matter. People may never come back because of all the damage of the previous 15 years. The Super J-Cast, member of the Voice of the Wrestling podcast family, wants to know, why is Elastica the best band to come out of the 90s Britpop scene? They're not. Now listen, I enjoy 90s Britpop, and I also happen to enjoy 90s British bands with female leads. That's actually a subgenre that I enjoy a lot, and I don't know if this person knew that. I assume it's Joel. I don't know if Joel knew that and he was setting me up or if he just stumbled into this, but I enjoy that subgenre of a subgenre. 
But my favorite band of that subgenre of a subgenre, as some people know, longtime listeners know, maybe new listeners do not, is Republica. That's right. Joe Lanza stands Republica. With my girl Saffron. But I like Elastica. I do. Connection, Stutter, good songs. Those are the big hits. Who doesn't like a song where, you know, the basis is your boyfriend can't get a boner? I mean, that's a great song. She's basically ripping on her man, her ex-man, because he couldn't get it up. I mean, that's a, it's a tremendous song. These are the questions I love. I, I love. I love questions like that. You know, we, we you get tired of talking about wrestling all the time. What do we got next? Skeech, the Reddit mod, wants to know. Who would you say has been the top female wrestler of 2018? I should have skipped this one because, listen, I don't follow Joshi, so I don't feel comfortable answering. How can I give an answer to that when I don't follow the most vital part of the scene? So, unfortunately, I'm going to have to skip out on that one. Tranquillo Dragon wants to know, wouldn't 205 and the Cruiserweight title benefit from having their championship match on TakeOver instead of the pre-show, even if that means extending TakeOvers to three hours? No, I'm dead set against that. It's already the kid table main roster. If you start putting their title matches on the developmental show, it just it, it enhances that stigma. The cruiserweight title matches belong on the on the main roster pay-per-views. They're four hours long. There's plenty of time. I, it, that's where they belong. Not on NXT. Not on Takeover. One Nation Radio wants to know, will Jeff Hardy die live on the network? I hope not. Nobody wants Jeff Hardy to die. Final question as we wrap things up. Rosie on Twitter wants to know, how's TLB and the kids? Brittany and the kids are doing great. Everything is uh, fantastic. It's uh, my... My whole thing with that is it's my job as a stepfather, which I take very seriously. It's my job as a stepfather to just try my best to be a positive role model and to be a positive male presence in the lives of those children. That is the most important thing in my life at this point. I just, I, I just have to be that for them. And I think it's very important that those children grow up. I think it's very important that they grow up knowing that their mother is loved. I think that's very important. They need to see love in this household. They have to see that this man who they know, you know, who they'll know at some point is not their biological father loves their mother. It's important for that boy to grow up knowing that his mother is loved. It's important for that girl to see that her mother is loved and respected so that she is drawn to men who respect women and those sorts of things. 
That's very important. So um, there's a lot of emotion in this household. There's a lot of I love yous and there's a lot of hugging and and there's you know a lot of displays of affection and I I believe strongly and Brittany believes strongly that, that those things are important for the children to see and to understand and 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 um it it's I I also and I guess this is getting uh, deeply personal and who knows if this will make the cut but um you know I also recently I wrote a letter to each of them um to each of the children, I wrote them a letter, a sealed letter that I, you know, I don't want Brittany reading them either. Um, and she understands that. And I gave them to Brittany and I told her when I'm gone, whether that's, uh, you know, tomorrow or a week from now or a month from now, 50 years from now, whenever I pass away, when Joe Lanz is dead, you give those letters to those children. You, you, you know, you know, I wrote one for each of them and, you know, no one will ever know the contents of those letters except for, except for those kids. And, you know, whether they read it, uh, hopefully they read it when they're very old because I want to live a very long time. Um, but whether they read it when they're 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, or whether they read that letter when they're 15 years old or 10 years old, or um, maybe they won't completely grasp it at that age, but, I, you know, no matter when they read it, it's, I want, you know, I, I don't want to, Obviously, I'm not going to say what it contains, but I just I, I want them to understand, um, you know, what their mother meant to me uh, when I was alive, and what she meant to me when she came into my life, and I want those children to understand what they mean to me, and how even though when they were growing up and when they grow up they might be a little confused, and um, it, it it's tough having a stepfather, um, you know, and and the circumstances um, with their father, which I obviously, you know, I'm not going to get into that. And, and I just want them to understand what they meant to me and, and what their mother meant to me and um, what it means to have her in my life and what it means to have them in my life as well. So um, that's very important to me. And I know that it's, I'm going to have my ups and downs and we're, we're all going to have our ups and downs. Um, any family does. And, and especially, you know, you're, stepfather says that we're going to have our issues and um, they're going to hurt my feelings probably at some point. And I'm going to get the, you're not my dad bullshit, you know, when they're teenagers and that's going to hurt me and it's going to sting and, but it's okay. You know, I, it's, it's, that's, that's part of the deal. And, and I understand it. And all I can do is just be uh, the best man I can be for them and for their mother and to make sure that, you know, and to love them and for them to make sure that they know that I love their mother, that that will take care. That's the most important thing. And um, yeah, so I don't know. That's how they're doing. Everything is great. So uh, on that note, I think we're going to wrap this thing up. Um, pretty hard to go back to wrestling. Don't be wrestling after, uh, after answering a question like that. So uh, that's it. We will see you, um, I will see you um, on the subscriber side for the Monday television reviews. Hey, if you're an NFL fan, uh, check out on the subscriber side. We just rolled out a new show, the NFL Intelligentsia, where uh, I break down the NFL each and every week. It's available for all subscriber levels this week only, so you can get in and sample that. If you're not already a subscriber, you can listen to the NFL Intelligentsia for just two bucks. And then if you like it, 
bump it up to the $5 tier and listen to it every week. And and if you're on the $5 tier, it opens up the archive of everything that we do on the subscriber side and everything that we will do. So if you're already not a subscriber to our Patreon, check it out. There's a lot of cool stuff and uh, a new off-topic show, the NFL Intelligentsia. And for the absent, once again, Rich Krejci, I am Joe Lanza. Uh, We will talk to you guys next week. In a world of one million wrestling podcasts, there is a new shining star with great interviews, analysis, music, and and me, Matt Kuhn, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.